to Genesis chapter 41. Uh, Genesis 41, if you're uh, sort of paying attention to your bulletin, if you're paying extra careful attention and you're saying, wait a minute, we didn't do chapter 40 last week. Um, how come you're getting soft now? Uh, now that you've you know gone through Judah and Tamar, of all the times to skip a chapter. Well, the goal is uh, we actually are going to look at Genesis 40 and 41 together uh, this morning. It's a whole series of dreams. Uh, this morning we'll read the first 16 verses of Genesis 41. So if you're able, as in keeping with our practice, if you would stand as we read God's Word together. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And then the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. I think I would too. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And then the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. And then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Thus far, God's holy word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we pray as we come to this, your word, that you would teach us, that you would grow us, that you would sanctify us, and that you would use this word to accomplish the very purpose for which it has been given, uh, the very purpose for which you send it out even now. Strengthen our faith, we pray, through Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's, it's easy, it would be easy for us to let our surroundings, to let our situation, to let our context um, determine our feelings about God. It would be easy enough, I think, and, and we probably do this from time to time, we sort of look at our surroundings, we look at our context, we looked at, look at what's going on in our lives, and we let those surroundings affect 
our feelings towards God. When we're in, when things are good, when life is happy, when our kids are obedient and our parents like us and they're not being overbearing and job is good and work is good and school's good, everything's great, then we tend to have sort of favorable feelings towards God. And as soon as life gets difficult, far too often that affects what we think about God and His care for us. We let our circumstances determine what we think God thinks of us rather than letting His Word make that determination for us. What if Joseph had done that? What if, what if we imposed that on Joseph? Because do the math with me for just a second. Joseph at this point should feel forgotten. Do Just humor me for a second. Math is my thing. Let's do math. Um, I like math any time of year, even in the summer. Look at verse 46 of chapter 41. Some of you are like, but I'm students. I don't do math in the summer. That's okay. You do here. Uh, notice verse 46 of chapter 41. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king. Now that was after verse 1. Two whole years from the time the cupbearer got out of prison and, and before Joseph finally turned 30. In other words, it's been about 10 or 11 years since Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. That 10 years has been spent either as a servant in Potiphar's house or in prison, we don't really know. There's, a, there's an after some time and, and uh, we don't know. Verse 40, I mean chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer and the, and the baker are thrown into prison. We don't know how long some time is. But it's, it's ten, it's eight, nine years at least. Some of which could have been spent as a servant in Potiphar's house, some of which has been spent in prison. Truth is, to me, it makes the most sense that Mrs. Potiphar didn't wait all that long before making her advances toward Joseph as she did back in chapter 39. It seems reasonable to me, and this is just me imposing this on the Bible. It's not in the Bible, so don't hold that. Hold me to it. But it seems reasonable to me, to me that the majority of that sometime has been sent, spent in prison, not in Potiphar's house. He's been betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave. His own brothers sold him for a profit to the Ishmaelites, and they then took him down to Egypt and sold him there. And he ended up in the home of Potiphar as a slave. Then he was falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar and thrown into prison because she said he made advances toward me and Potiphar said we can't have that and threw him into prison. If you let his circumstances determine his thoughts about God, if you let his circumstances tell you where God is, if we used our grid, He's forgotten. If we used our sort of perspective in our own life, we would think 
surely God's forgotten Joseph because if, if I had 10, 11 years of this kind of misery, of gradual descent from favored son in dad's house to slave in a foreign country where they're all pagans and, and polytheistic, you know, whatever. Surely, Joseph has been forgotten. He has no church. He has no family. He has no Bible. He doesn't have access to any of that in Egypt. He appears to be forgotten. Now, you and I have the benefit of four times in chapter 39 being told God was with Joseph. You and I have the benefit of chapters 40 and 41 where Joseph is constantly saying, God gives dreams, God interprets dreams. That's not me. God's doing that. We have the benefit of that. But if it weren't for that information, we would be tempted to think, to you and me, to our eyes, reading Joseph's situation, he appears forgotten. But then it gets worse. Because then he actually is forgotten at the end of chapter 40. In chapter 40, the the chief cupbearer and the chief baker to Pharaoh are thrown into prison. They've offended Pharaoh uh, somehow. We aren't told how they've committed offense against Pharaoh. Chapter 40, verse 1. We don't know what it is. They've done some wrong. And both are thrown into the same prison with Joseph. The same prison in which Joseph has essentially risen to power. His honor, his character has sort of earned him the right as the overseer of at least some section of the prison. And both of these men have dreams. You notice in Joseph's life, Dreams always come in pairs. Dreams always come together. He had two dreams uh, a number of chapters ago. There are two dreams here in chapter 40. And then Pharaoh has two dreams in chapter 41. These dreams have, I mean, these men have dreams, and there's no one there to tell them what the dreams mean. And Joseph notices the, the anguish on their face in the morning. And they tell him the dreams they've had. They're looking for somebody to, to tell, him, tell them what the dreams mean. They're looking for someone to interpret for them. Joseph is quick. Verse 8 of chapter 40. Um, I don't give interpretations. God does. Uh, I don't know what they mean. God knows what they mean. He's quick to give the honor and the credit to God and to His wisdom and power. That's where wisdom comes from. It comes from God. Both of these dreams, the cupbearer, mean that the cupbearer and the baker are going to get out of prison in three days. Now, it's funny how um, God's revelation works sometimes, right? I mean, Joseph knows when they're going to get out of jail. He has no idea when he's going to get out of jail. How troubling would that be to be Joseph? Wait, 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 hold on. Now I know you're getting out in three days. Surely this means at least I'm getting out in four. Because you're going to go put in a good word for me. And, but 
he doesn't know. He's, he doesn't, doesn't know how long he's going to be there. The cupbearer will be restored. The baker is going to be hanged. That's the result of their dreams, the aim, the intent of their dreams, the revelation of the dreams that these men have. You get the sense that the baker kind of thought, verse 15, he kind of thought, well, since the cupbearer had a favorable interpretation, okay, now I'm motivated to tell my dream to Joseph too. Maybe he'll say something good about me. Joseph is obligated to speak God's truth regardless of what that truth is and regardless of how it would be received. God has given dreams to these men. The cupbearer, his dream says, you're going to be restored to your position. Pharaoh's going to come after you in three days and you're going to be back doing your old job right there with Pharaoh. The baker goes, hey, he got a good interpretation. Maybe I will too. Here's my dream. Joseph says, oh, well, also you're getting out in three days. And that's where the similarities end. You're going to be hanged. Joseph is obligated to speak God's truth, even if it hurts. Notice Joseph's role as a prophet. Notice Joseph's role as an, as an, an early Old Testament prophet taking the message from God and speaking it to His people regardless of whether it's an easy pill to swallow or a difficult one. This is God's revelation through these dreams. And so He can't mince words. He can't change the words. He can't change the meaning. He can't make it, you know, water it down. He can't alter it to make it, you know, palatable for the baker. He's got to speak God's truth regardless of how it will be, will be received. And then Joseph has only one request to the cupbearer. He has one thing to say to the butler, to the cupbearer. He says, do me a favor. Would you put in a good word for me? When you get out, because you're going to get out, and when you get back into Pharaoh's service, because you're going to get back into Pharaoh's service, when you have Pharaoh's ear again, when you're now taking him his cup of wine, when you're now serving as his butler once again, would you, would you just put in a good word? Would you, would you just remind him about, would you just, would you be willing? I mean, maybe it would get me out. Maybe I can get out of here too. If you would say, you know, Pharaoh, there's this guy. I've got a guy. He's a good guy. Um, we, should, we should let him. Would you put in a good one? That was the one request. That was all Joseph asked for. But the last verse of chapter 40, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgotten. Joseph has appeared forgotten. If you just look at his circumstances and look at his, at his setting, he appears to be forgotten. And then at the end of chapter 40, he actually is forgotten. His one sort of thread of hope of getting out of prison. How long does that thread hang on, do you think? 
Okay, day three, the two men are out. They're freed. The next morning, Joseph wakes up hopeful. Today's the day. The cupbearer, I just know it. I know he's going to put in a good word for me. Today's the day. They're going to come get me. A week later, uh, maybe. How long before that thread is just so worn down that he loses all hope and expectation of being freed from prison? Joseph appears forgotten. Then he's, he actually is forgotten. But notice, he's never forgotten by God. Two, I love that the Bible does this. I don't think we need the word whole there. I mean, two years is two years, right? And yet we're given this extra word, two whole years. To me, that adds to the anguish. To me, that adds to, that just stretches stretches it out to, okay, it wasn't like almost two years. It was two whole years. He remained in prison. And that's when Pharaoh has his dreams. Two dreams that we learn later have the same meaning. And he gathers together all his wise men, all his uh, sorcerers, all his magicians, and says, okay, here are the dreams. Now tell me what they mean. And they have no idea. They can't answer. And the cupbearer walks in. You know, here you go, Pharaoh. Here's your wine. What are all these magicians doing? Well, they're trying to interpret my dream for me. And you can almost picture the cupbearer smacking himself on the head. Wait! There's a guy. I know a guy. I was supposed to remember this guy two years ago. But now I remember this guy. There's a, there's a Hebrew. There's a, this guy in prison you've got. He interpreted my dream. He interpreted the baker's dream. He told us exactly what they meant. And don't miss what he says in verse 13. As he interpreted to us, so it came about. How do you know? How do you recognize a prophet? If what they say comes true... Right? I mean, you, you remember Harold Camping, the guy in Florida that I can remember at least three occasions, and there may have been more than that, that kept saying, well, the world's going to end on. I think the first date he gave was 1994. Then there was a 2001 date, I think. And then there was a wait. My math was off. It's not May. It's October. <laughs> You know, all those times he kept saying the rapture's coming, the world's coming to an end, doomsday is coming. It's, it's foretold in the, and he's been wrong. Well, he was wrong every single time. How do you know a true prophet in the biblical sense? Well, the things he says actually come to pass. Verse 13 matters in Joseph's life. He's serving as a prophet as an early Old Testament prophet, and the cupbearer can go, and let me tell you this, Pharaoh, the dream I dreamed, he interpreted, 
And what he said would happen, happened exactly like he said it would. And the baker, exactly as he said it would. You know those fortune cookies you get? You crack open. The, I don't eat the cookie. I don't much care for the fortune cookie. I read the fortunes. I just enjoy that part. They're precise enough to make you raise your eyebrows. But they're general enough that you throw them away. Have you ever noticed this? Like, do you actually save them? Do you actually sort of put them up on your refrigerator and go, you know what, I'm going to come back to this someday because it says, you know, in the next two years, you're going to meet somebody nice and it's going to go well for you. Right? I mean, it's precise enough that you go, why are you laughing? It's like, it's precise enough that you kind of go, huh, this is interesting. But it's just general enough that you don't keep it. You don't hang on to it. What Joseph gives these men is precise. It's exact. It's not you're going to get out one day. It's you've got three days. And in those three days, you're both going to get out. You're both of you. In fact, he uses the same language. Your heads will be lifted up. One of you, your head will be lifted up and you'll be you know, restored to service of the Pharaoh. The other, your head will be lifted up so high that it won't actually be on your body anymore. Um, but he uses that same sort of, of language to the cupbearer and the baker. Exactly as Joseph had said, so it was. So it came about. I was restored to my office. The baker was hanged just as Joseph said it would be. You know a true prophet, biblical prophet, because what they say actually comes to fruition. So in verse 14 of chapter 41, Pharaoh sends for Joseph. What would your... I can picture my cell wall after that many years in prison. There'd be a list. You come in to, you know, Pharaoh sends his guards and say, look, go get this Joseph guy out of prison. I need, I need him. And so, you know, he comes out and he takes a, a shower and a shave and, and changes his clothes and kind of gets dressed appropriately for entering into Pharaoh's presence. I, however, would be fuming. I mean, I would come out Swords already drawn, ready to get my revenge. I mean, I would be all over Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar, the cupbearer for, for, for forgetting me. I mean, I, I, would, I would come out hopping mad. There's a, a game we played um, several weeks ago um, in... Uh, an earlier sermon in Genesis that we can play again here. And for that matter, we can play this game pretty much for the, for the rest of Genesis. It's a game you can call What If. Uh, we haven't ever named it before, but we'll, we'll name it What If. We'll call it What If. Uh, what if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph on day four? What if... The cupbearer had actually remembered Joseph as Joseph asked him to and as Joseph envisioned 
it going. You know, day three, cupbearer gets out. Day four, the guard shows up and says, Hey, Joseph, the cupbearer put in a good word for you. You're getting out too. What if things had gone the way Joseph wanted them to? Well, he probably wouldn't be at hand to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He wouldn't have been, well, they know where to find him. He can't go too far. There's that guy, you know, in prison that I was supposed to remember two years ago, but that I completely forgot about, but now I remember him. What if Joseph had gotten out two years before? Well, he's, he's, not, he's not available to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. In other words, God needed Joseph in jail those two more years. Because God needed Joseph available to give Pharaoh the interpretation of his dreams. Because God wants Joseph in a position to deliver God's people when the time comes during the famine. It was all being carried out by God's purpose and design. If I'm Joseph, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, I'm hurt, I'm not, okay, finally I'm getting out after two years. I mean, you really want to go to the, you know, you walk into the Pharaoh's um, throne room, I don't know, wherever he met with the Pharaoh to give him his dream interpretation. You shoot eyes over at the cupbearer standing in the corner. Two years, really? Two years? I mean, I'd be taking shots at him walking across the room over to give Pharaoh the interpretation of the dream. You and I would do well to look back and see God's hand all along working out His sovereign designs through even the most mundane, ordinary events of life. I've mentioned before Darius Rucker's song, This. Stoplights he didn't make. I mean, he does this amazing job in the song of, of going through the just normal, everyday things of life. I got caught at a red light. A girl dumped me. I wanted to go to that college and didn't get in. It must have been Clemson because he went to Carolina. There's the only joke I'll make. We would do well to look back over those events of life, those everyday, ordinary, mundane events of life and go, that's God at work. Because it all has added up to this. It's all led me here to this to steal His chorus. Joseph appears forgotten, then is forgotten by the cupbearer, but he's never forgotten by God. God's been working out these details all along, making sure that Joseph ends up exactly where he wants him, when he needs him there, at exactly the right time, at exactly the right place, to carry out God's purpose for His people. Moses tells us, the two dreams in the beginning of chapter 41. Pharaoh then recites the dreams to Joseph. And then as Joseph interprets the dream, he basically retells the dreams again. So you kind of get two dreams three times each throughout chapter 41, which is why we only read the first 16 verses. But notice, 
pay attention to verse 28 and to verse 32. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. By the way, the first words Joseph said to the king of the superpower of the day was, you're wrong. You have to do that in your Trump voice. He literally, the first word, I mean, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who is the world super, the most powerful nation in all the world at the time, calls Joseph and says, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph's go, Joseph literally says, nope, I can't. That's where you're wrong, Pharaoh. I can't. God can. Only God can. And so in verse 28, he says, I, I told you before, Pharaoh, God is showing you what He's about to do. And then in verse 32, we get the same thing again. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means, this is Pharaoh talking, I mean, Joseph talking to Pharaoh, means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. I'm struck by the fact that God chose to tell pagan king Pharaoh what he's about to do. He could have told um, Jacob. He could have told Joseph or Benjamin. If you want to get crazy, Judah or Reuben. It would never cross our minds that God would reveal to you know, Pharaoh what is about to happen. It would never cross our minds to think, well, let's go tell this, this polytheistic pagan king what God is about to do. Except that he's the only one that can do something about it. Jacob could do nothing about the seven years of famine coming. There was absolutely nothing that Benjamin could do. Pharaoh has at his fingertips the land, the crops, the fertile soil, everything he needs, the silos, the grain bins, all the places to store for seven years in preparation for the famine. So God reveals it to Pharaoh in his dream. But Joseph is his prophet, the one who speaks God's Word to him. Now let me make a comment about dreams. Some of you aren't going to like this. Um, the point of Hebrews 1 is that with the Bible complete, we don't need dreams anymore. We don't need dreams telling us what God's going to do. Why? Well, because the writer of Hebrews tells us, well, God used to speak that way. And the reason He doesn't now is because we have His canon complete. We have the Bible. We have His Word already the one exception would be where God uses dreams is in those places where they don't yet have the Bible. As long as we have God's Word, we no longer need God speaking to us through dreams, giving revelation like this to us. We already have His revelation in His Word. But notice Joseph didn't just interpret the dream 
for Pharaoh. He then told him, and this is what you need to do. This is the plan. This is, this is how you need to go forward. This is what you need to do to plan during these seven good years for the seven lean years. And that was all Pharaoh needed to set Joseph up to be his right-hand man, his prime minister of Egypt. So Pharaoh appointed Joseph to be the one overseeing this uh, preparation, uh, the preparation efforts for the coming years of famine. Have you, have you traced Joseph's life? He was the favorite son, thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold as a slave to Egypt, thrown into prison that is also called a pit in Egypt by Potiphar, having been lied about by Mrs. Potiphar, and now raised to prime minister. Why? Why has that happened? Why has that worked out that way in Joseph's life? Well, we're going to see in the coming chapters that it's all part of God's plan for saving God's people. Joseph could be bitter. You and I might even say Joseph should be bitter. Joseph could be angry. Joseph is probably... He's apparently not, but I would be keeping a list of these are all the people that I've got to get back. These are a list of, of all the people and the, all the names of people who have done me wrong over the last 11 years. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, rattling off all his brothers. Except Benjamin. Benjamin apparently wasn't involved. Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar, the cupbearer. There's this long list of people that Joseph wants to retaliate against when he gets out of prison, right? I mean, surely that's what he's been doing all this time is, is keeping a list of bitternesses, of grudges that he's got to now pay back as he gets out of prison. But notice verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to Joseph, to him, and Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Why? God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. He names his oldest son Manasseh as an indication of the fact that he's not keeping a list. He's not holding on to those grudges. He's not sort of keeping a running list of these are the people that I, you know, I've got to hire somebody to off these people so that I can get my revenge. on. He's saying, I don't have a list. I've thrown my list, list away. I, di I didn't bother keeping a list. I've forgotten all of those things. The one who appeared to have been forgotten has himself forgotten. He's forgotten the strife the difficulties, the wrongs by others towards Him. And there's only one explanation for that forgetfulness. And it's only because of God's grace. Joseph trusts in the providence of God. 
Joseph can look back over his last 10, 11 years, and certainly the last two, and go, I know this is all in God's hand. I know this is all God at work bringing about His purposes, His plans in not just my life, but we're going to see in the life of untold millions. Let me make a few applications from these chapters. First, pray for the grace to forget. Pray for the grace to forget. We are tempted to harbor anger and bitterness towards those who do us wrong. Pray for the grace to forget the wrongs done to you. To forget that that list of people that deserve your revenge. Pray for the grace to forget. Second, right alongside that, pray for the grace to trust God's providence more and more. To, to see God's hand at work in everything. From that red light that stopped you when you were late and you just were convinced God owed you every green light between here and there. Uh, the promotion you didn't get or the promotion you did. The, the grade you got in school or whatever. Recognize God's providence in all of it. All of these things are in God's hand. And He uses them to bring about His purposes, His plans. Third application, and it just to sort of close the circle on providence. Trusting in God's providence, the doctrine of divine providence does not negate man's sinfulness. His brothers don't get to go, well, I mean, you know, Joseph, you had these dreams that one day we were going to all bow down to you. And so us selling you as a slave and you ending up in Egypt was really all part of God's plan to, to bring about the, the dreams that you had. So really and truly, we didn't do anything wrong. No, that, it doesn't, God's providence doesn't negate man's sinfulness. Count the list of Ten Commandments they violated. Just in that one incident, murder, and they didn't actually kill him, but they were angry and they pretended to, oh wait, bearing false witness, because they only pretended they lied to their dad. The list goes on and on. Yes, all of these things were part of God's divine purpose to bring about His plans. But we don't get to hide behind that and say, well, that excuses my sin. Well, of course I committed adultery, but you know, it was all part of God's plan to bring about some other purpose, and so it really isn't wrong. A fourth application. Delays don't mean that God has disappeared. Don't let frustrating delays in your life, don't let those, those delays lead you to think that God has disappeared. They don't mean that God has forgotten you or that God has changed His mind or that God doesn't care anymore. Delays don't exist to God, only to you and me. You and I are the ones bound by time. He's not. Delays are instruments in His hand to sharpen us 
as tools to be used later in His kingdom for His glory. The delays that you and I go through when we're waiting, God, You said. God, You promised. And when it doesn't happen the way you and I think it should, that's just a tool. That's just a a sharpening instrument. You and I being tools in His workshop, tools in His shed, He sharpens us by those delays so that we're better equipped to be used by Him later. Lastly, finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that Joseph is a picture of Christ. He's a a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ. Christ would endure the same humiliation, the favored son, the only son who would then be humiliated. He would be thrown into a pit, as it were, take on flesh, become like you and me. And suffer even more as He bled and died on the cross and was even thrown into the the pit of the tomb itself. Suffered held by death itself for a time. Only to be raised up again. To be fully restored. To defeat death. To now be seated at the right hand of the Father. Joseph paints a picture for us of our Redeemer, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered the same sort of humiliation before His exaltation. We see in Joseph what you and I are looking for in a Redeemer. One brought out of a pit in order to save His people. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for providing a redeemer in uh, your only son who would leave the very throne room of heaven, the eternal glory that had always been his and take on flesh, walk this earth, deal with uh, the effects of life on in a fallen, broken world, though he himself was without sin. We thank You that He has conquered sin and death in our place. That He suffered and bled and died for our sin, for sin that we committed, not that He committed. But that He's been raised up. Defeating death itself. Seated at Your right hand. Ruling and reigning over His creation. Father, we pray that we would look to Him for our deliverance, and that You would grant us the grace through faith to trust all the more in Your hand of providence. For it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen.